you know, we launched this live streaming video feature. I guess it, you know, it, we launched it in around the middle of 17. And you know, now we're doing about almost a million, you know, around 900,000 or so video viewers uh, every single day. More than 20% of our audience on, on all of our US apps are engaging in this video and basically watching you know, each other and commenting and connecting that way. Maybe as a precursor to real life, you know, our users are still connecting in real life. But you know, I think I think it's just a, people want that raw or more authentic feeling than just a collection of here's my stats. I'm single. You know, I'm this age. I'm you know here's my interests in keyword form like that. That's old and uninteresting. And I think you know people are trying to come up with interesting ways. I, I think video is going to be a big piece of it, but I don't think it's the only piece. Today's episode is brought to you in part by the Georgia Impact Podcast, bringing you a first-hand look at the big opportunities and issues facing today's software entrepreneurs. On the show, they interview CEOs and founders of software companies and other thought leaders in the space, so you can hear firsthand how they're working to solve business problems with cutting-edge tech, just like we do here on The Disruptors. The show helps CEOs, founders, and product leaders, really anyone who's interested in the latest developments in software startup scene, understand a wide range of topics. Things like machine learning and AI, conversational interfaces, privacy, ethics, and trust, big problems in the AI space, blockchain, quantum computing, and other emerging technologies. You can find and subscribe to the Georgia Impact Podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Do you run a business or blog and hate hosting and managing your site? If you do, check out WP Engine, the managed WordPress hosting company, 500,000 plus sites trust to simplify everything. They've got a special offer just for you listeners. If you go to disruptors.fm slash WP Engine, you'll get 35 free premium studio press themes with any purchase. Look at our site. I couldn't do this design on my own. You need themes. These guys help you manage everything and simplify it. Save yourself a ton of time and headache in the process. Disruptors.fm slash WP Engine. And now, let's get on with the program. Welcome to The Disruptors, the podcast about the future of all of us, where we look at the technologies, trends, and societal norms shaping our collective future. Hear the world's top minds share their insights and predictions on the convergence, direction, and ethics of exponential technologies transforming life as we know it. You can learn more and stay up to date at disruptors.fm. Today, we've got exciting news. The 24-year-old Harvard millionaire who built the incredible business in his dorm room. No, this one's not Mark Zuckerberg. Today, we've got Jeff Cook on the program. Jeff's a really interesting, fun guy with a no, a really wide, diverse skill set. He's a serial entrepreneur, built and sold a couple million and hundred million dollar companies. And today is the founder and CEO of The Meat Group, a publicly traded company which focuses on dating and live streaming which may seem incredibly weird and random. It is, but it's going to become much more relevant in a sec. Here's why. Today we'll discuss Facebook, social media, and how they've screwed us all up and what we could have done to avoid the problem. What the future looks like for dating, sex, and humanity online. Why Jeff's worried about screen time and constant notifications clashing with humanity. How he built a $100 million company with his brother and sister. Yeah, I'm not sure I would be in for that. Why Jeff is so excited about live streaming, 5G, and the future of video. Why podcasting may be the biggest growth platform of the immediate future. How we can reimagine social media for a better future. And why existential AI is definitely worth worrying about. This is a fun, unconventional one. And it was outside the topics of what we normally talk about. But I think in terms of looking at the future of humanity, if we're not talking about the future of dating and let's face it, sex, then we're not really talking about the future of humanity. We haven't gone all IVF and test tube babies yet. So we may as well think about what it means to be human. And we may as well do that now. And now, without further ado, I give you Jeff Cook. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. I wanted to get started on the, well, let's just dive right into it. What do you think based off of, let's get a 30,000 foot overview of you and who you are first. Okay, sure. So um, I... Well, I guess going back to who I am, I, I, I have three kids. I live in uh, Princeton, New Jersey. I run a public company called The Meat Group, uh, traded on NASDAQ. It's a live streaming video and dating app. We also recently uh, launched a podcoin, a podcast-related app. I got started in entrepreneurship back in sophomore year of college. 
I was going to Harvard. I was from uh, South Plainfield High School. Was going to Harvard in 1997. Started a little side business that I intended as a side business at the time, kind of this e-commerce editing platform that was really just an e-commerce editing website. And I was doing all the editing. And it turned out that I grew that to you know a few million uh, in revenue and then sold it eventually. Obviously, uh, a lot of story in, in all of that. Started my second company, my yearbook with my brother and sister back in 2005. That went pretty well. Then uh, sold that in 20, 2011 for $100 million. You started uh, a business with your brother and sister and it went well. What's yeah, the, what is the secret? I think that's where we have to go with this. <laughs> Got it. So, yeah. So, um, I I think the secret might be that I'm 10 and 11 years older. And they were actually high school students at the time. So, we, we launched it in their high school in Skillman, New Jersey. They were 15, 16. I was, I guess, 26 or 27. And, um, you know, I, I had already sold a company for, for millions of dollars prior to that. And but but what we were starting was a, a high school based social network. Now it turned out pretty quickly. Like within the first year, we went from high school based social network to uh, social network for meeting new people. Had nothing to do with high school. In fact, yeah, you know, that 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 feature that, that website more or less still exists. Now it's called Meet Me, and it doesn't even allow teenagers to join it. But you know, back in the early days when we were first starting out, it was a high school based social network. And you know, my my sister and brother actually both still work with me for the company. That we founded, you know, all the way back in 2005, so 14 years ago. Catherine, my sister, she she is a head of brand. She she essentially runs the marketing budget, which is significant at this point, tens of millions of dollars a year. And David, my brother, is is managing the Podcoin app for us, um, which is an app we just started. And you said you sold the company for a hundred million dollars. Obviously, you didn't get all of that, but that still sounds like life changing money. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was a good deal. And it was a cash stock deal. And part of the reason, basically, I sold, sold the company to a, uh, an entity that was um, on NASDAQ. It's called Kpasa. And then we ended up uh, moving all of that traffic that was on Kpasa to, to our app, which at the time was called Meet Me. And then I, I resumed kind of as, as CEO uh, shortly thereafter. I think it was early 2013. And so for them, for the last six years, been more or less doing the same thing <laughs> as as what you know we started. Uh, Meet Me is essentially th- another name for my yearbook. Uh, we, we changed our name and said nothing changes but the name to the member. Uh, it was, but it was a it was a good change, I think, to the to the user and to the external parties that were kind of interested in it. And lately, what we've been doing is spending a lot of our time working on building a live streaming video platform. We recently brought live streaming video to. The Meet Me app, and then because live streaming video is such an important, it's such a such a big investment, right? You have to do moderation, you have to do tech. We decided to uh, acquire some some competitors, and so we actually acquired four different companies in in the last three years. And in each case, we uh, added our live streaming video platform to to the property. So we've been basically buying social assets, enabling them with video, and turning on new revenue streams. How do you deal with? I mean, I, I have to go there, even though I really wish I didn't. How do you deal with building a live streaming app in the era where people are deciding to kill people online and show it live? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, you know, we um, we do a lot with moderation. So, so it's a combination of algorithmic moderation, where you're you're actually scanning the streams in real time for content that violates your algorithms, and also a few hundred moderators are actually their job is to watch streams. Of course, we also have the ability to report streams, but you know, for the most part, we 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 don't rely on that. You know, we, it's really about being proactive and finding problematic content, you know, as early as possible. Is it physically possible once you reach that YouTube or Facebook scale? I mean, it's physically possible to you know, you you probably don't have humans watching every single stream, but algorithms are getting pretty good, and you tend to have humans watch the streams that humans probably should be watching, like. Like maybe what's on the what's in the the top five hundred or top thousand or which videos are quickly changing in popularity. Like a video that quickly captures a lot of attention, maybe that's because there's something bad going on in it. And so I think you can actually cover quite a bit of. You, you won't be perfect, but but you know I think most of the uh, you know the social media uh, kind of beyond video, you know photos and so so forth. It's also imperfect, right? There's always a possibility something's being posted that's not prop- that's not perfect. 
at the same time, I think, uh, you know, for the, your high profile videos, your, your kind of very public, uh, you know, in the feed trending sort of videos, uh, you can get pretty good coverage on them. And then, f- you know, nudity detection is pretty far advanced. So like, for certain problems, AI does a very good job. And machine learning algorithms do a particularly good job. For, for others, you know, it's less good. Yeah, it's a, it's a slippery, challenging problem. What would, what would you do now if you had to take over Facebook? <laughs> let's, give you, um, let's give you an impossible job. Yeah. You know, I think if I had to take over Facebook. Not I mean, to put I, you on the spot. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, you know, I think, I think what, it starts with like, well, what are some of the perceived problems with Facebook? And, you know, I think there's some perceived problems are, you know, what, what are people doing there? Right. So like, is it to, to, to connect with your friends and family or is it to spend time and watch parties and, and waste, you know, potentially um, you know, a good amount of time? You know, is, is it to go down the rabbit hole of an echo chamber related to political views that you may hold and everyone that you see also holds? So, so I mean, I, I, think, I think clarifying maybe what, what it is that, that it's about would, would help. You know, I think Facebook also delivers a lot of value, right? I think people will, people get real value out of posting their photos, having their friends and family comment on them. I don't know that they get much value out of political conversations on the platform, frankly. So, so, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad I don't actually have to have to have that job. (laughs) I'm sure it's a very difficult one and I'm sure it's very, very educated and well-minded, you know, good-minded people kind of get into it. But it's also, you know, it's the biggest, it's, it's by far, you know, it, it's basically a nation state and it's like size and bigger than that in its kind of uh, scope. And so it's, it's something that I think all of society is, has, to, has to kind of grapple with. It's kind of the trope that they have about startups and building products. If you try to build something for everyone, you build something for no one. That's kind of where we're getting to with Facebook in terms of once you have that kind of scale, it's kind of inconceivably problematic. What, uh, what do yeah. you think the future is for social media? I mean, in my day-to-day life, I, I certainly don't consider it inconceivably problematic. So, so, you know, I think that's certainly not been my experience of Facebook. But, but then again, I'm not the type of probably a person to be easily baited. I mean, know, trying to solve, I, I mean, trying to solve the problem more so than the problem itself and the scale of A, just what it's done in terms of changing public opinion and changing public discourse and then trying to prevent it's always easier to play offense than it is to play defense. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I think the, the speed with which kind of opinion turned against Facebook is, is, uh, is was, was kind of head spinning, right? I, I, don't, I don't know that anyone could have seen that speed of change coming. You might have thought, well, there's some, you know, you know Tristan, you know, was it Tristan Harris has a critique of tech and, you know, it's many... You know, like you know, for example, the the notifiers, the bottomless bowl on the feed, you know, things of of that nature, kind of product uh, insights into mobile tech that basically create habit forming products. And you know, I think the critique is essentially, well, maybe we don't want habit forming products, right? Like that, keep your you know, keep keep that away from us. And you know, we spend a lot of time talking about Facebook, but. You know, Facebook's playing in an ecosystem that's largely controlled by Google and Apple too, right? Who are providing the devices that the thing sits on, and wouldn't be providing it. You know, uses the notifications and the notifiers that everyone else provides, and those companies all profit off of that. So, so I mean, it certainly doesn't strike me as a problem that's limited to Facebook. At the same time, I think it's a valid question. You know, should you know, should should they ever have been allowed to buy? Instagram, I think obviously the answer would be no if if they were trying to do that deal now. You know, I'm sure that would be blocked, but um, they didn't do it now. They they did it then, (laughs) and so whether or not it could be unwound, you know, is a is a question for the politicians, I guess. Yeah, it's a it's a big big question. Which monopoly scares you the most, and why? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Which monopoly? I mean, I think I'm sure all of them would say they're not monopolies. I think I, I think you know Facebook certainly has big, big, big hand on all things social, you know, if you're going to connect with your friends, you know, if, if and you're not going to use Facebook, you're probably going to have to use Snapchat, right? Like, um, and, you know, that's only because they didn't buy it and, and they wanted to at the time. So 
at the same time, in terms of who's taxing these startups, right? That's Apple and Google, right? Like 30% tax off the top for Spotify and so forth. So, and this is, this is an issue that's, you know, raging. Uh, you know, I think Match even talks about it or, you know, basically anybody paying that tax, you know, is wondering whether they get that sort of value out of it. And, and so um, if you look at who's taxing, it's, 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 it's Apple and, 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 and Google um, and, and not so much Facebook, although that's just uh, the nature of, of their different business models. It's also because they screwed all the old partners, so they don't have very many current partners. Yeah, I mean, if you look at size, I mean, th- these things obviously tend towards network effects, right? The network effects are just massive. And so they, they're kind of natural, naturally monopolistic, you could argue, right? I mean, uh, the network effects in, fr- in friends, you know, friends network is massive. Uh, you know, I don't want to join a network where my friends aren't to go do social networking with friends, right? It's straightforward. So, so um, you have kind of a monstrously large uh, winner take all sort of scenario. Apple might have gotten the same thing if, if, if Google you know, wasn't right there on the, uh, with, with the Android platform at the right moment. And now you have kind of this you know, duopoly. So, so I, think, um, I, I, I think which it, it, it's hard because I, I don't think any of these are, certainly none of those CEOs or probably any of the leadership is, is really evil of, of any of these companies. And it's just, you know, they're executing against their plans to, to grow bigger. And, you know, I think public policy needs to have a say in, you know, what, what that means, right? Like, and, and I think public policy might have to catch up a little bit, right? And, and that's not maybe so surprising given how quickly, how quickly these companies grew to such large scale. Does it but if you, look at, if you look at size, like look at Amazon too. I mean, Amazon, you know, has, has, has managed to take over a huge swath of, 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 of e-commerce, you know, certainly not of all commerce, but, but, but certainly incredibly important. And at the same time, I'm not sure anyone could argue that there's price, uh, that, that, that prices have gone up as a result of these monopoly uh, efforts. So, you know, I think companies will have to say, well, how, you know, p- people who can say they're harmed by monopolistic practices are probably the ones that are getting taxed, you know, because it, it's easy to it's easier to draw a straight line to, well, I, I'm paying you all this money and, you know, I'm doing all of this effort and you're taking, you know, more than my margin. And that's, that's kind of a, a straightforward sort of argument. Whereas I think you can still make an argument without a resort, resorting to prices, but then you're basically talking about stifling competition and then it's fuzzy because it's like, well, I don't know what would have developed if it weren't for this large player here who either destroys or um, copies every innovation. And so, you know, it, it, it's tough. There's, there's no easy, I mean, it's, it's almost a similar question to the big banks, right? Like how big is too big, right? It, it's not just a tech problem. It, it seems like it's just a question of, um, of how, you know, how big do we want our corporations to be? As someone who's running a public market company, that's not an enormous public market company. Does it scare you that Facebook or a company like that could kind of be just elbowing their way into the dating space? I mean, we certainly pay attention to what Facebook is doing in dating. You know, I, I think we're a little bit less probably concerned about it than, say, somebody like a match would have to be, um, only because, you know, match is that very large corporate b- company um, to us, right? So, you know, we, we've grown in the age of Tinder growing and Bumble growing. Bumble, of course, is, is a different brand, not Match. But, but we, we've grown in the age of these very large apps already. And so Facebook coming into the mix probably doesn't really change anything. Like we've already got a pretty, we've kind of already found our niche. And I, I don't think Facebook's going after that. I think it's going after the more mass market. So if I were running Tinder or Bumble, I'd be more concerned about Facebook. That being said, I'm not sure how concerned about Facebook I'd actually be. I would have to pay attention. But Facebook doesn't have the greatest track record for entering a new space, right? Like they say, oh, well, they've built at least a half dozen, maybe a dozen or more standalone apps. How many of those can you name? Right? Like none, you know, or, or how many of those are in your phone at least? None. As far as... Um, you know, as far as, you know, apps that they bought, of course, that, that's totally different, right? Like Instagram and so forth, WhatsApp. But, you know, they haven't really expanded into a new space. But what they, they have proven they can do is, is if they see a, a feature that's working in social, like on Snapchat, they can co-opt it and put it in Instagram or, or, or potentially in, into Facebook. But I, I think that's different, right? Like that's, 
that's almost expected behavior. If you see uh, a new messaging platform and you run a messaging, if you see a new messaging feature and you run a messaging platform, you're probably going to experiment with it. Getting into dating is a little bit different because that's not why people are there, right? So like most people don't think about Facebook as the place they go to date because there are so many different ways of going out and finding a date, whether uh, especially mobile options. And so I tend to look at it as people use brands to to kind of express different asset, different facets, facets of their own personality. So, you know, I use LinkedIn because it's my business space and okay, I have some stuff to throw over the wall, this article, that podcast, you know, I'll post that here and my pictures will look very professional. But, you know, my Facebook self, you know, is probably going to be my four-year-old, my eight-year-old or my 12-year-old, right? That's more or less the only thing I post to Facebook. And then my Tinder or my Meet Me, you know, I run these apps called Meet Me Tech, Scout Lavu, and so forth. Those are going to be a different persona. That's going to be my, you know, nightclub uh, bar personality, like the maybe a little bit more out there in terms of uh, put, putting yourself out there. And I think that I think it's hard to say. Well, and Facebook has proven that it, it can't be all things to all people, you know. But but it, it can own this friends and family space in in a really absolute way. And I realize there's always fringes, right? Like, so you might own the friends and family space. And yeah, some people use Instagram to date, right? Some, some people reach out like, but, but for the most part, like, it's not what you're there for, right? Like, if that's not the most efficient way to find a date, maybe you see someone and you, and then you, you, you pursue their Instagram and then you try to reach out via it. But uh, it's, it's not the most direct way. So, so I think, I, I don't think Facebook is is like. I mean, you, you can never count out Facebook in any market, just given its scale and resources. But you know, it just doesn't feel like the sort of thing people want Facebook for. And when those types of things have happened, you know, that's not uh, that's not where Facebook has really shined. You know, so so I I think that's the most likely. And certainly, if you look at Match's share price, investors on you know Wall Street at least seems to agree with that assessment. Like Match is absolutely crushing it. You know. There's obviously not much faith in in the street that 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 match uh, that the Facebook poses uh, poses uh, you know an existential threat to match. Yeah, maybe it does, but it certainly doesn't seem like it. What's the future of dating? I know we've seen people go more and more into their phones, both in terms of dating and in terms of their everyday life, and also yet seem to be less happy in doing so. What's the future look like for that and hold? I think, um, I mean, I think the trend in dating, if you look really across the app, so if you look at like Hinge is kind of part of it, and, and that's, of course, also a match asset. Hinge basically started pioneering, you know, more, you know, kind of a more quality profile. So it's not just a list of information, but it, you're answering three questions, and these questions, you know, are a little better than normal, like giving you a glimpse of the personality, and they also make for good conversation starters basically just a higher quality profile that you could spend more time with. And when you like it, it's a little, uh, it's a little less superficial because you're not just liking a pretty picture. You're liking, you know, maybe something that it required a little bit of wit. And, and you see, you know, gr- uh, Bumble and you see, uh, I think Tinder, but, but certainly Bumble kind of following that, that trend of just ever in- increasing kind of more time consuming profiles to create more high quality profiles to look at. And we've kind of, you know, what we've been doing on the video side is almost part of the same story, right? Like we didn't come at it from the profile as much as just saying like, look, you know, people want authentic conversations. Date, one of the biggest problems with dating is, uh, or dating apps is, you know, you don't know if the photo is very old. You don't know if the photo is even the person. You, you know, it's not necessarily a great, great view of, you don't have a good sense of who the person is from looking at, at looking at their profile. And so you got Bumble and you got, you know, Hinge and others kind of looking at that problem and saying, well, let's have better quality profiles. And that's certainly one way of doing it. I, I think I've seen reputation scores on like, how good is this person's reputation? I've, I've even seen, I, I forgot the app that does it, but like, well, how does this person do when you see them in real life? Like, is it what you expected? Did they treat you well in real life? Um, so kind of really trying to close the loop. We've taken a different look and said, look, if you want to get a sense of who someone is as fast as possible, you know, go see them in real life. Of course, that would be the quickest way, but that, that also kind of defeats the purpose of the apps to begin with. 
which is convenience and put them right there, but then video. And so, you know, we launched this live streaming video feature. I guess it, you know, it, we launched it in around the middle of 17. And, you know, now we're doing about almost a million, you know, uh, around 900,000 or so video viewers uh, every single day. More than 20% of our audience on, on all of our US apps are engaging in this video and basically watching you know, each other and commenting and connecting that way, maybe as a precursor to real life, you know, our users are still connecting in real life. But you know, I, think, I think it's just a, people want that raw or more authentic feeling than just a collection of, here's my stats, I'm single, you know, I'm this age, I'm, you know, here's my interests in keyword form, like that, that's old and uninteresting. And I think, you know, people are trying to come up with interesting ways. I, I think video is going to be a big piece of it, but I don't think it's the only piece. How do algorithms play in and how close are we to an AI matchmaker? Yeah, I mean, with algorithms, it's interesting in dating because it's certainly not an unsolvable problem, but it's, you know, it's, it's a more difficult one than the Netflix problem, right? Because in the Netflix problem, you basically have this history of things you like to watch and they, of course, know what you go see the next and they, they know what other people have watched. And the movie doesn't have to like you back, right? <laughs> and so that does create a lot of complexity in that the, the movie has to like you back. And then, you know, the movies can't like, you know, the, if you meet someone and, and, sh- and she's interested in you and you're interested in her, that's kind of subtractive from everyone else. It's not like you can then take the fact that she's interested in people like you and the next day show her someone else like you because that's you know not really how it works. And so I think, I, I think there's still this serendipity in connecting. I think these algorithms are important. I mean, there's probably certainly a gender location, probably you know, some background you know, is, is helpful. But like, there's a reason, there's a spark, right? Like, People, people either feel that spark or they don't. And I don't think there's an, I don't think we're very close to an algorithm that accurately predicts that spark. I think we are pretty good at kind of, kind of connecting you to people, giving you context for why that connection has been made. But, you know, no one's claiming like, and, you know, like the eHarmony sort of thoughts of like, and oh yeah, we have these data scientists and they're so smart and we've, you know, and, and this person's the one for you, whether you know it or not. Right. I think I think it's more like we can get you, you know, the serendipity is always going to be a big piece of it, but we can help that serendipity along. Yeah, might as well add a little, a lot, a little uh, chemical lock to the mixture, so to speak. Yeah. So with with this, how do you think about the apps? In my opinion, I feel like some of the some of the apps, Tinder specifically, there's been a, a commoditization of sex, so to speak, in terms of dating apps and and online applications in general. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, certainly that's a critique, you know, of, of, of the ecosystem, right? Like um, you simply have so many choices and you didn't used to have all of these choices. And so even when you're with someone, the fact of the matter is um, there's many different choices. And, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's potentially a, an issue, but I mean, it's one of choice, right? So it's, it's not... Um, I wouldn't call it one of the bigger problems facing mankind, but um, you know, I, I, I do get that that critique. I, I'm, you know, I think I think it to some degree, kind of this push towards you know more individualized profiles that you see most of the brands doing are are kind of addressing that a little bit, right? Because they're saying like, look, each profile is not the same. It's not just a picture and some keywords. It's it's uh, you know th- these are unique people. I do think video plays a role in that because like every video is so different and, you, and you, you could see you could see it like if there's a spark. You might think there would be a spark if you saw a collection of photos, but the second she opens her mouth, you might say, oh, no way, right? Um, and so I think you just, it's more revealing, a medium. So, so I, I, you know, I, I don't think, I, I, you know, I think that that can be a concern for some, but I think, I think a lot of people are, just, are still looking for, for that, you know, quality relationship. And so I, I don't get the sense really that everyone just feels like they have to go from, you know, one person to the next. I, I think it creates a similar dynamic though, the the comparison shopping, so to speak, to Instagram. So you kind of have to show off your very best self and there's always better possible images and oh, 
Jesus, Jesse's over there going to see the video and going to see this movie. And this guy's over at that concert. God, my life must suck compared to them. I feel like it creates a lot of the same unhappiness biases with, with people yeah. and partners. I think, I think there's um, potentially some truth in that. I, I, I think, I think it, it goes further. I, I, you know, like if, if you're on Facebook and, and I find myself, you know, sometimes asking like, why am I posting this picture, this vacation picture with my kids, you know, into Facebook, right? Like what is the reason that I'm doing this? And I think most of the reason, you know, at least the, the reason I, I tell myself is, you know, look, I'd like to, because I'd like to remember this. I'd like to have some storage of this. And frankly, I, I know that my devices are very ephemeral, <laughs> you know, and, and so is my storage capacity on my computer. Throw it into here. I'll, you know, I'm making a bet on Facebook, but, but it'll probably be really element too, you know, so that others can like it and so forth. But at least for like, I would say the vast majority of anything I post, it, it actually, I find most of the benefit in the fact that it's here <laughs> and, you know, there's a handful of people who could see it. So, you know, if there were, uh, you, you know, a, a more competitive social ecosystem, you can imagine, well, maybe there'd be a different product for me. But as it is, it's kind of just Facebook. And so, and so I use it that way. And then, then you could say, well, yeah, but, but then there's, you know, 200 followers who don't particularly want to see that you're in a really nice spot and maybe they're not. Right. And so, and so then that causes, you know, issues of vanity. And so, you know, I, I think, um, which is presumably one of the, the main reasons Facebook works. And, you know, I, I, I looked at, you know, it wasn't that long ago that Reed Hoffman was talking, I think in the Times or somewhere, about how he only invests in startups that exhibit one of the seven deadly sins, right? Now, that, that seems like uh, something you wouldn't say today, <laughs> but it's probably true, right? Netflix exhibits sloth. You know, Facebook started potentially as lust with the Facebook and then moved into vanity. You know, LinkedIn, you could argue, is greed. But, you know, that's the ones that, that's, that's what plays, right? The lowest common denominator, you know, Tinder, of course, that's what, that's what plays, you know, because we're human beings. And I, I don't know that what's going on, like, if you look at kind of sensational, a lot of this comes down to sensationalism, like, there's been sensational headlines from the, you know, as long as there's been journalism, right? Like, you know, and so, and, and now I think the problem is it's gotten much, much worse because we, we carry these devices in our pockets. They know a lot about us and what, what our clicking habits are. They, they, they play to, to outrage, of course, because that's what gets you to spend a little bit of incremental time. And so all of these things are kind of arrayed, you know, there might've always been clickbait headlines, but you know, you only really got got them when you when you pass the newspaper stand. <laughs> well, now now you're now you're always looking at your device, and yet somehow it's not the device makers that are really under the gun; it's the social guys. And and I you know I, I'm not sure why. Yeah, that is a that is definitely a dynamic that people don't really unpack enough. We just build the hardware seems to be a good enough excuse, but <laughs> right. we just build the software isn't a good enough excuse. It's a, right. Right. it's a little, it's a little bit interesting. I think that would be, that would be something. It's, it's worse than that. It's, we just build the hardware and make all the software makers pay us. I think that, I think the trick for a cell phone is to turn off notifications for everything. And once you pretty yeah. much have, except for maybe like WhatsApp and text messages, because that's really all you need. If you get notifications, you're kind of I mean, for lack of a better term, you're, you're somebody else's bitch. So yeah. someone's calling you and you have to hop on whatever that is in terms of the notification. It, it just disrupts people's lives. That's not a bad hack. <laughs> yeah. We have to take a quick time out to tell you about today's show sponsor, Brand Crowd, an offshoot of Design Crowd, a company that we've used and loved in the past to get our podcast cover art done. How Brand Crowd works, you can get logos designed automatically for any projects that you need. It's incredibly fast, incredibly easy. And when you need to get a project going, you know an incredible logo is the first thing that you're going to need. If you go to disruptors.fm slash brand crowd, that's B-R-A-N-D crowd, C-R-O-W-D, disruptors.fm slash brand crowd. And you can go and see the designs they have. If there's anything you like that really sparkles your fancy and you think would be great for your business, go for it, buy it. And it's quick, easy, fast. Your business is up and running disruptors.fm slash brand crowd. And now back to the program. So podcasting, what's the deal? Why'd you, why'd you guys get into podcasting? 
Yeah, so I guess it came out of a few different things. Like one is we're into live video, right? Like we're we're into video in a big way. Video is this very much immersive experience where like if you're not watching the comment stream and the streamer, you can't really follow along. We got the concept for video out of spending a lot of time in Beijing in 2016 and seeing it work on Momo and some other apps. And then we were looking at, you know, and we obviously continue to keep an eye on the whole Chinese ecosystem of live streaming. And you basically can't find one. Uh, there, there's many different multi-billion dollar Chinese live streaming apps, but you can't find any that don't have an audio component and, and generally a pretty significant. And so, you know, that's fine. But then if you start thinking, well, gee, what could you do in audio in the United States? You know, because I, I, you know, there's, there's a difference between the Chinese population, of course, and, and, and the, the U.S. There's some certain audio networking that I just don't think would play here that does play over in China. What do you um, mean? So, like, you go into a meet new people room and you, you see neither video nor photos and you just chat, kind of a chat line. And, and um, like, I think something like that could work here. I think it'd be niche. Yeah, there, there's probably a market for it, but in China, it's actually really popular. And I think it's known that some cultures are just more likely to be uh, more willing to express themselves in audio than in text form, or or maybe even in video form. So sending even just voice SMS is something that's in many countries like very popular, but here it's not right. Like it, that that's not very that's not a very frequent use case. And so it is with kind of voice based social networking. It's it's not really an idea whose time has come, I think, here. And so I, you know, we, we were looking at audio and we're like, well, yeah, we could do something like that. But you know, we, we didn't really have much conviction on that working. And then you know, I'm an avid podcast listener. And I was also, at the time, kind of giving a speech at Princeton uh, about a year ago. And part of the purpose of the speech was to say, like, if you were to start an app today, what would you start? And, and like, that's where the idea of this incented listening platform came from. And so, you know, then, you know, we have t- 21 teams, 21 tech and engineering teams here at the Meet Group. Um, one of them is on, and, and an offshore one of that is, is on this. So I, I wouldn't overstate our ambitions here. 17 out of 20 are on live, 17 out of 21 are on live streaming. But that's, that's what kind of got me into it was like, here's an idea that you have this massive industry of podcasting that is still very new. I mean, the, the, you know, the, a lot of Americans do it, but it's still like a business in terms of revenue. And you have, I think, I, at least I have conviction that that is going to grow bigger and probably much, much bigger. And so, you know, it's probably not going to be 25 or 30% of listeners who listen uh, in a month like it is today. It's probably going to be 70% or 60, 70%, you know, when it gets to full penetration. So that would mean that there's, you know, of our 15 plus million monthly users that we have across our apps, you know, there's a good portion of them who are either you know, very casual or, or you know, semi-frequent or, or infrequent or, or not at all kind of podcast listeners that we might be able to get to listen to podcasts. And we, I've been in the virtual currency space since 2007 or eight. What you know, got you into it? When I ran my yearbook, we had a virtual currency called Lunch Money. And, you know, it was just an engagement currency that would allow you, it was probably one of the first ones um, on the internet. But it, it you know, it, well, at least in social, that would allow you to to buy certain things in the app, uh, like that would allow you to uh, spend it. You know, one of the things you could buy was actually profile photos. It was kind of this little game called Owned, but it was a bunch of different uses for this lunch money. And you know, I, it was a you know, very good driver of action. And so I was aware of something called Sweatcoin, which is basically an incented walking platform. And I've recently actually become aware, I wasn't aware when we started the, the PodCoin, but I was aware of this, recently became aware of this Chinese uh, company that is a multi-billion dollar news aggregator. And their shtick is, is that they, it's basically loyalty points that you earn by, by kind of getting your headlines here as opposed to there. And so I, I felt like PodCoin, which basically pays you to listen to podcasts in a, in a currency called PodCoin that you could redeem for Starbucks gift cards or Amazon, was actually kind of a of the moment sort of idea. And by, and by that, I mean, like, can you add social into podcasting and at the same time reward your listener for being there? You know, I think one of the criticisms of social media firms is that 
they take all of the value, right? All of it. And, and um, they don't share it like a single bit and it's not part of their model to share any of it. And, you know, in our live streaming business, it is our model to share, you know, well, it's our model to share 30% with Apple and Google, but, 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 then, but then to share half the rest with, with the creator. So, and that's how we built, you know, an 80 plus million dollar revenue live streaming business very quickly was because we were paying the creators. And, and so it seemed to me like PodCoin was like the next version of that, where you don't pay the creators, but um, you pay actually one step further, you're paying the end user, the, the, the listener, the consumer. And, you know, loyalty points is not, not something that's super innovative. Of course, there's loyalty points in many different industries, but there, there wasn't one in podcasts until PodCoin. And so that's, that's what got us into that. Anyway, it started as an experiment. It continues to be, you know, I think an experiment, but it's one that's at least at the moment going pretty well. And conceptually ideas, instead of having advertising, people are incentivized to listen and then get some type of reward loyalty points from ideally someone who's advertising to have themselves as the reward loyalty company like Starbucks. It could go there, you know, and, and that that's closer to what Housewifecoin's doing. I actually think the monetization at scale would look like little differences in podcoin earning is enough to drive significant differences in what people listen to. Okay, advertising. Right. right. So so you know, in, in right now you have this really tiny podcast publisher space. In the future, you may have these podcast publishers who are actually willing to advertise in order to go get new listenership. And I actually I I I wrote a a middle grade children's book not that long ago and have some familiarity with Goodreads. Goodreads is basically Amazon has this program or this this site, which is kind of a social community around books. And they let you as the author kind of give away your title to an audience that's supposedly, you know, influencers and, and people who, 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 who at least maybe find some, some uh, resonance with your book and maybe then chat about it. And, you know, podcasts don't really have anything. It's just like that, right? Like, if you want people to put your podcast in front of someone, like no one really yeah. tells you. Discovery's got all, Discovery's got right. awful in podcasting. So, so the thought was, you know, maybe we could help with that. And and now we have hundreds of podcasters, you know, a week in some cases, hundreds a day, kind of joining the service, which is all free. Everything right now is is one hundred percent free. Claiming their podcast and then putting that claimed podcast go go into the bonus, so so they get they earn at a slightly higher rate. Not not really all that meaningfully higher. But enough so that thirty percent of all listening minutes go to the bonus podcast, and and these people are just discovering podcasts they wouldn't have otherwise listened to, and then they continue listening to them even when the thing's not on, no longer in the bonus. And so you know it's just another way. Right now, in a standard podcast player, you would come in and you'd you'd look at you know whatever that that app thinks is the top trending or the ones that you're likely to to stick on, and that's probably one of five hundred podcasts that everyone knows and everyone. It already has all the same content. Well, we, we're actually showing you the ones you've probably never heard of. And uh, you know, m- maybe the likelihood that you stick on any individual one of them as a result might be a little lower. But you know, if, if you don't like that experience as a user, you, you don't have to listen to any of the, bo- the bonus podcasts. It's just, but, but we, we do highlight them. So you brought up a little bit earlier, kind of interest in cryptocurrencies slash blockchain. What are your thoughts today? I actually uh, don't have much interest in, in, in cryptocurrency or, or, or blockchain. You know, we, we did look at it a little bit at one time and decided not to kind of pursue it. Podcoin is not a crypto. It's an engagement currency. And, um, you know, I think when we looked at it, the, the, the legal framework is just really difficult. I mean, for one, right? there's probably other criticisms to make, but like, are the, are the tokens, are, are they tokens or are they securities, right? And and pretty much they're securities, no matter what you want to say they are, they're probably securities. And yet they don't behave in certain ways like you'd, you'd want a security. If they are securities, they're incredibly difficult to, to distribute uh, legally. And, and, and if you are to do it that way, you might as well just do like an IPO. And so, you know, as a public company, like there was no way we were going to touch that third rail of, of an ICO. And we're glad that we didn't, you know, frankly. Uh, we, we've looked at a bunch of, these that or that we might have even been contacted by, and that didn't seem like they ended very well. Um, that that being said, blockchain of course is different. You know, blockchain may well find as a technology is finding footing. Whether it has really straightforward social ramifications is less less obvious. Like 
do people want all of their whatever they put into the ether persisted forever really right? like, Facebook right right maybe you know in in some limited cases but you know it, it's not an obvious there's not like an obvious oh blockchain social makes a lot of sense like blockchain and finance you know makes a lot of sense and maybe certain betting platforms right like but um you know never say never might 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 find some 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 formulation in social but i, I wouldn't know what it is i think the formulation for social would be here's your incentive to switch to something else even though it sucks to <laughs> essentially get a new user adopted type points faster yeah, than to, other to like earn to, to earn, earn money yeah earn your equity in the new facebook yeah, yeah. That, that, that's kind of where I, I would see the potential value of it. I feel like you could probably gamify it other ways, but yeah. it's, um, it's one of those things, overhyped short-term, possibly underhyped long-term, but again, we don't know until we actually get there. Yeah, I mean, in the podcast space, like, yeah, that's kind of what we're doing, right? We're giving you a virtual currency, which has, does has value in order to move your listening minutes uh, here, or if you, are, if you don't listen, to discover podcasts here. And I think that works in part because podcasts, you know, all these podcast players have very similar podcasts, at least total selection. They might highlight different ones, but they have similar selection. In the social case, you'd be going into a network and you might be incented to go there, but you're not going to be incented that much, right? Like it would be pennies probably per day tops. So, but you're incented somewhere and then they don't have your friends. And so like, that's but, probably but you're incented to bring your friends. So you bring your friends and then your money becomes more valuable and their money does. So it kind of, yeah. it, it has a built-in Ponzi scheme effect that could be beneficial with breaking a monopoly. It also could be very illegal with breaking a monopoly as well. But it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things where yeah. if you think about it, it has, you also have a lot of ramifications. Laws. Yeah, it, it does. I, you can't basically, they out. broke all the rule. They broke, they broke right. all the laws to be able to do what they did. And that's why a lot of it hasn't taken off. Yeah, like there's this TCPA that has to deal with like who you can send text notifications or phone calls to. So like, you know, going down the address book, like to, to, there was a time and place where you could build hyper viral. And that was on the back of Facebook when, it, when its APIs were very open. And it was in the very earliest days of mobile address books before people really understood the ramifications. And now you can't like, like I, I you know, and, unless you're probably breaking some laws, that, that, that's that's kind of what I what I think. If, if you want to spread now, it's got to be through novelty or just through just word of mouth spread. It's not going to be just because you you hacked some some existing platform. Yeah, LinkedIn I think was like the first to do it. They basically emailed every person in your email list. It was a uh, it was a little bit crazy. What technology are you most excited about today, and why? You know, I think I think we're probably most excited about just. Uh, speed, right? Like 5G and, and like, you know, the ability to just have more and more bandwidth and not have to worry, oh, am I on a Wi-Fi network? And oh, I can't download this until I find my Wi-Fi or I better not stream that because, you know, I don't want my, my bill to be too high. Like if, if, you're, if you're thinking down the video space, this is still pretty meaningful. You know, I think, so, I, so I'd probably say that from a, from a business perspective. And personally? You know, uh, personally, Personally, I'm probably relatively limited in terms of, you know, I, I, you know, I don't, I, I, you know, I, I probably try to keep, you know, anything that could help me spend less time with a device <laughs> is probably, is probably a good innovation, but maybe a safe that I could put in my house and put my devices in. I, I've thought of doing that, but it's not, not at the moment. Uh, I've never been able to pull myself to actually do that. Just go airplane mode. Yeah, yeah. Occasionally, I will get into uh, just turning off Wi-Fi and on my laptop. Like if I want to get two hours of something done, you know, just turn off Wi-Fi. I, I, I will do that occasionally. Not enough. Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy how we let notifications rule us. Yeah. What technology are you most worried about and why? Not as a business, but just in general. You know, I, I, I would say I, I, I am pretty worried about the just the whole ecosystem of the mobile devices and notifications. You know, I think what is the stat? It's like 150 times a day we we check our devices, right? Like, and obviously we're doing it unconsciously. And you know, it, it's easy to to kind of understand how how scary all of that is, right? Like, so um, you know, you you have the smartest people in the world pursuing driving a few minutes or a few seconds per session and extra sessions per day as opposed to whatever other problems they could be solving that might have, 
you know, like global warming or, you know, some, some big cancer, you know, something that, that is maybe uh, really big. And the reason is because there's more money in finding a few more seconds uh, a day per session. And those aren't really all that interesting challenges, right? So, so I think, I think I'd, I, I'm worried about that ecosystem. <laughs> and then I think as you look further out, you can't dismiss, you know, people who kind of ring the alarm bell of existential risk and say, like, eventually you're going to have an AI that, uh, you know, um, you're not going to want. And, um, and, and, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of people who say, well, uh, yeah, that, that, that's ridiculous. You know, the AIs today, you know, are, are, aren't very sophisticated. But, you know, the trend seems to be going there. And so, you know, I think, uh, I, I think that's, that's worthy of, of people like Elon Musk's uh, concern. I'm not sure that I'm, I'm overly concerned with it. You know, and, you know, but that's that's the nature of why these present risk because they're they're hard they're hard risks to us to deal with on anything like an individual level. And then one day, through actions of concerted uh, all these concerted actions of of people that were not thinking in this you know that this would ever happen, suddenly it emerges. <laughs> yeah, it's like that proverb about the doubling the numbers of pieces of rice on the the chessboard. Then uh, the prince said, "I'll give you anything you want. Just double it on every single." every single new block and suddenly it was all the rice from the kingdom. And that's, <laughs> yeah, kind, of, right. that's kind of how ex- exponential, exponential tech, exponential anything works. People don't yeah. think about it as often. So right. what uh, outside of your work, what do you do on a, a weekly, daily basis to stay informed and stay up to date? I know you said you like podcasts. Yeah. Um, I mean, I certainly listen to a lot of podcasts. You know, I, I think, um, you know, I, I, probably my news diet looks like uh, podcasts, Washington Any, Post. What are your favorite podcasts? You know, my favorite podcast right now, I'm, I'm actually looking at my list because it, it's fairly, you know, I, I think, um, like, for example, I'm listening to um, Without Fail by Gimlet. I'm listening to, uh, I do have The Daily. There, there's something interesting about uh, the Uyghur population recently uh, in China. That, that's actually an interesting story. The surveillance state of China and how they use all this tech and image recognition to really keep a tabs on this ethnic minority, um, um, and in addition to to the majority, you know, you know, certainly I, w- I will at least occasionally listen to Joe Rogan. Uh, I actually have the Mike Tyson podcast on here, and I, I do like that. There's history ones I'm into. I, you know, until uh, I, I really liked until he moved to Luminary, the uh, History on Fire one, and I probably won't won't pay Luminary to listen to it. Oh, that's a that's a good thing. Do you think um, not not it's a good thing not paying, but just in general, do you think podcasting? Do you think content in general will become that more individualized, paid for it approach, or if we'll stick with some type of advertising model, which is what we've had to date? I think I, I think it's it's hard to say that there won't be podcasts that you pay for, but you know I, I don't think that's not where I'd place my pet. <laughs> you know I I, I think. I'd probably place the bet the opposite of how Luminary places its bet. So Luminary says, you know, I can paywall off a bunch of content and then get you to pay for it. And that runs into all sorts of problems. Like, well, all the other content you think you're going to have is not there because no one wants to deal with a company that, that does that. Then you have Spotify coming at it from an unknown spot, right? You don't, we don't know if they're going to paywall off Parcast and, and, and Anchor and, and, and everything else that they, they acquired. Are they going to paywall it off, or is it just about moving as much of their music listening minutes to to, to podcast listening minutes? Which, in which case, they benefit big time. Now, I think they will certainly start to paywall things off. If I had to guess, Spotify is the one who's going to be really paywalling this off, and they there, but it probably won't be everything they bought. And it might be you know the bleeding edge of it. And I I think. Uh, you know, it, it, I, I have a hard time believing that people with podcasts seem, seem like they, they want to say like, it's going to get to 70% terrestrial, just like because people listen, 70% of Americans listen to terrestrial radio. We podcast is on its way there. It's already better content. Yeah. The radio, um, radio sucks. The it's, radio all, sucks it's all, it's all right? ads too. It's terrible. Right. And it, and so it's going to get there, but then, but we're going to charge them and like not too many people pay, pay for XM and you know, uh, serious and compare, you know, same company, but in, in relation to, you know, pay taxes for radio. Yeah. I'm not sure they perceive it that way though. But, um, so, so, so I think, um, I, I think advertising is going to be a big part of it. I think Spotify will, 
Spotify is the monster player in this space. I, I don't think Apple probably jumps in too, too, too much more than they have, right? Like they, they seem like they've, they've nursed this thing. They totally, they totally really blew it. it. They totally blew it. They could have owned yeah. it all. They could have owned it all, but I'm not sure I would say they blew it only because they also, by keeping it kind of a, a, at a distance, they let kind of an, an ecosystem develop. Whether they let it develop or intended to develop is a separate question, but an ecosystem developed. And, you know, Apple makes so much money that... Um, Until all the iPhone sales stop, which we've already, <laughs> yeah. we've already hit peak right. iPhone and peak I mean, peak even, if, even if this is a 10 times bigger business and Apple gets 50% of it, I'm not sure it really dramatically moves their needle. So, like, I, yeah, I, I, I'm not so sure. But other podcasts, I like I, the type of podcast I like is like, I don't know if you listen to Bear Brook, but like these retellings of kind of local news, like it's a New Hampshire public radio thing. Um, another one is The Richest Hill by, um, uh, it was like a, about the Superfund site in Butte. You know, I, I, I do like these really local things that you probably would never get except in podcast form, where like you hear about so, something that, that took place you know, so either some period ago or, or even now, but that, that tells this really full story. And I think podcasts are just great at storytelling. And, and you know, I think, I, I think you know, for me, at least, they've replaced audiobooks. Like, I'll still listen to an audiobook every now and again, but, you know, it's probably 80% podcasts versus maybe more versus my audiobook diet. And back, back you know, a few years ago, it might have been the other way. Definitely the same. And I, and I typically two or three X the podcast speed as well. So you can listen. Oh yeah. You can really kill through some podcasts. That would, that would <laughs> right. get you some great pod coins. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. I think, I think if, if they are able to unify the pod, the big problem with podcasting is they don't have great stats in terms of being able to measure ads, ad uh, effectiveness. If they did, and they were able to integrate all of that, you could be really, really successful. I could see podcasting out replacing uh, television advertising in terms of total budget. Easy. Yeah. I mean, that's true. Like, I mean, you, you basically are limited be- because of the measurement problems to people using your code. And that's a very limited set of advertisers who are going to be able to play in that market. So you're not, you're not able to address kind of the, the masses. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll see. It'll be a, it'll be an interesting space. I got one, la- I got two last questions for you. One is an interesting contrarian opinion that those around you don't hold, but you do some type of prediction? Well, I, uh, <laughs> I, I have a prediction for Game of Thrones, but by the time this ends, uh, airs, I think it'll be known. So let me think of a different one. The, you know, I mean, fr- 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 frankly, it's, it's a little bit of a cop out, but I think um, the fact of the matter is I've been pursuing video as um, uh, a major kind of investment vehicle and no one else has, right? Like, especially in the dating space. And no one else seems to currently, right? Like, and so, you know, I think, um, I think it's still contrarian to say that live streaming video and dating are ever going to really be mainstream. And, you know, we continue to continue to believe that. If I was looking for a political sort of contrary, contrarian position, you know, yeah, yeah I'm, 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 not, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, 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 I think there's so many different opinions. I'm not even sure what's contrarian. <laughs> well, that's pretty much what the pollsters realized. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, it's been fun having you on today. If you had to leave people with one thing before you tell them where to find you, a quote, a call to action, it can be anything, what would it be and why? Um, you know, listen to more podcasts. You know, I think, uh, I, I, I think and that's not just self-serving, listen wherever, but, but, but I think that that's an interesting media forum in a world where like everybody, even, even like these outlets that you might think are, Good, you know, just want to get your attention with like the most ridiculously worded headline. And then, you know, for people who, who sometimes just read the headlines, like, like they're, they're just consuming constant outrage and moral, you know, harm. And, um, and, and podcasts, because they're 30 plus minutes long, typically anyway, and sometimes much longer, you know, force you to kind of deal with different thoughts on an issue that I think... I think is really positive. Like long form content that makes you think is pretty rare. And somehow podcasts have that. <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be some terrible podcasts and maybe they're, I'm sure there already are, but it, and, and it, maybe it eventually all just becomes its own ecosystem uh, or a- echo chamber. But 
I don't think of it that way right now. And, and you know, maybe maybe there's still some hope for that that medium. Time adds context. When you have to be short and snappy, you get short and snappy back. When you have the mm-hmm. context to talk to people, you can see, holy shit, we're actually all people. What the hell? And <laughs> right. uh, a lot of problems just kind of fade into a fade into the background. Jeff, thanks for coming. Where's the best place for people to find you and learn more? Uh, you can and find, find me on, their loved one, of course. <laughs> you can find me on on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Cook, G E O F F C O O K. Um, or you know, grab our apps, Podcoin, or, or meet me on App Store or Play Store. Awesome! Thanks for tuning in. Hope this has been fun, guys. It's been a it's been an alternative, different one, but I think we're headed towards some alternative, different future. So it's worth discussing. Thanks, and thanks for thanks tuning for in. Me. Yeah, cheers. If you want more of The Disruptors, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to disruptors.fm, where you'll find tons of audio and video interview stories with leaders in the fields of genetics, cryptocurrency, longevity, AI, space, VR, and much, much more. You can also follow me on Twitter at MattWardIO. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a quick review on iTunes at disruptors.fm iTunes to help more people discover the podcast and help us make a bigger impact.